Hello and welcome to episode 128 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We are getting down to the final few conversations around who is going to make the postseason. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. What a slate of games we had for week 14 with some cracking wins for Washington, for the Bills and for the Ravens and sadly the Eagles. We'll be talking about all of them. And to do all that, we're joined by a man that needs absolutely no introduction whatsoever. If you watch NFL in the UK, then you know this man's voice, you know this man's career, you know everything that he's got to say, but hopefully he's got some new stuff for us tonight as we're going to be looking back at what was a scintillating week 14. Delighted to be joined by Coach Jeff Reinbold. Good evening, Coach. How you doing, Cam? Cam, didn't didn't you we do an interview together in Edinburgh some years ago? Yes, we did. We did. That's what I thought. That's um, what I thought. So yeah, we we sat down and talked about all sorts of things, including the Scottish Claymores and your time uh, with NFL Europe. And uh, I remember you telling me how much you enjoyed coming over here. And you had a story about one kid from Alabama that was scared to go into the stadium because of the <laughs> noise and stuff. Yeah, so was, yeah, yeah. When, when we pulled into the butt, so so that the People who may haven't didn't know that story. You know, we got all these allocated NFL players, and we fly in and, and stay at the hotel, and then uh, go to the stadium. And you came in, they they bring the bus into the bowels of the stadium, and there's a piper standing outside of our locker room, and the bus pulls right up to the locker room. So there's maybe six feet between the entry of the locker room and the exit of the bus. But that guy is like that guy's standing with the bagpipes against the wall. And you can imagine what a bagpipe sounds like in that enclosed, you know, space. And <laughs> I have a habit of getting off the bus last, I, you know, let everybody go. And then I get off last. And I looked around to make sure everybody had gone. And there was one of our players was sitting in the back and he wasn't moving. And I went back there and I asked him what was going on. He goes, coach. I ain't getting off this bus. Whatever that thing is, I ain't getting off this bus. <laughs> Jeff, I, I don't know if you know, but Cameron is actually a piper. Is that uh, right? It is true. And at one of the NFL events that was held in the EICC in Edinburgh, Cameron was asked to pipe in all the guests, which sounds really easy. However, Michael Irvin was one of the guests. Now, he virtually did a lap of honour around the place. Cameron was nearly red in the face. You could see him running out of puff as he's given it this. He gave his all that night for the NFL. But I don't think Michael Irvin's high-fiving everybody, and it was just brilliant. So next time you're in Edinburgh, we'll get, we'll get Cameron to pipe you in, as long as you take a long time to get on the stage. <laughs> oh, that is a great story, man. I can just see Michael doing that. Yeah, he milked it. He milked it the whole way. I was like, come on, Michael, man. I've, there's only so much lung, uh, so much air in these lungs, man. I can't keep going. So yeah, <laughs> a lot of fun doing that. It was brilliant. What an honour for me to pipe out. You know, it was um, him, Willie McGinnis, uh, Kurt Warner, and Cliff Averill, and obviously got to pipe out Neil Reynolds as well. So uh, you know, there's been so many great events in Scotland. We've been absolutely blessed. Obviously, 2020 has sucked. We don't need to cover that again. Um, but we look forward to hopefully having you all back up in Scotland in 2021 as the NFL UK brings things back on tour. I tell you what, anytime I love it up there. I really uh, have had, you know, had we always had great games up there, um, and always great NFL events up there. The fans in, in Scotland are passionate, 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 and uh, you know, I think that they've shown a tremendous loyalty to the NFL over the years. 
Well, the whiskeys are on us, sir, the next time you're up in town. All right, you, you got it. <laughs> what, one of the events you did in Edinburgh, Jeff, was, was, was in an old church at the top near the castle. And you talked yeah. us through, you got some of the Edinburgh Wolves players up. And it was the first time I'd seen anybody explain, you know, how linemen are supposed to hold, block, move. And I have to say, it blew my mind because we tend to watch the quarterbacks. We tend to watch the running back, the receivers. And that, I think illuminated the game for me just and I try and watch the trenches a little bit more because some of it's quite fascinating and I'm not sure that people who don't understand the game really understand just how good and how clever athlete some of these linemen are oh it's incredible you know because they are huge people I mean you know now a guy is not considered big at 325 pounds it's the 325s and over that are the big guys and, you know, that trend just continues to keep moving in that direction. But they're such amazing athletes, so quick on their feet, so light on their feet. A lot of them, they can run. Uh, you know, there are a lot of really athletic things that those guys are asked to do. So they're kinds of special, special animals, if you will. And I, I don't think that the television really does a service in terms of allowing the people to see just, you know, how intricate this game really is. And, and whether it's techniques or scheme or a combination of techniques and scheme. And one of my jobs, frankly, at Sky and one of my greatest passions is when they give me opportunities to get up on the telestrator and really try and explain the game to the fans. And, you know, it's it's been really cool for the probably 12 years that I've been doing that, the the uh, depth of the questions that we get now, the, sen the the amount of understanding that is out there that was never there before. The fans have really taken advantage of the internet and, you know, podcasts like this and, and everything that the NFL puts on and Sky puts out to learn. And the fans are much more knowledgeable. Every time we bring anybody over to, to do one of those tours or to talk or, or whatever, they're all they're all blown away by the the depth of the knowledge of the fans here, and I think that's really a credit to everybody that's involved in growing the game. Yeah, absolutely, and we thank you for it. We've all learned the game with you, and I think that that's a, it's an important part of the growth in the UK. And it, you know, this year with Sky having the dedicated channel and things like that, it's, the game pass is getting better and better. Um, Red Zone obviously is a massively popular thing. You know, we had Scott Hansen over in Glasgow as well. It was great to meet him. You know, these people are absolutely recognized. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But let's get yeah. on to week 14 because it was thrilling. Right. And there was a bunch of stuff went down that we need to talk about. So we're going to start first of all, uh, Jeff, and I hope you don't mind because Paul is a New Orleans Saints fan. And we got to noise him up to kick this thing off because losing to the Eagles, you know, and losing to Jalen Hurts. Well, let me say let me say this, that that was a classic trap game for the Saints because... They have Kansas City coming this this week. They've played really well. They're 8-0 without their quarterback, yada, yada, yada. Everybody's telling their defense how good they are. And you roll into Philadelphia, and they're going to play a backup quarterback against you. And, you know, everybody's telling you how bad Philadelphia is. And, you know, you, I, I told somebody today that if I was coaching in the NFL right now, I'd pass out blinders and earmuffs to the team and just have them put them on all week before before a game because you know you keep the noise is so prevalent and it's so you know it's just it never stops about 
you know, the Eagles stink, you know, the quarterback's awful, the offensive line is terrible, they've had 11 different line combinations. All the stuff that makes you go into a game and just think, you know, you can go out there and play, roll your hat out there and, and you're going to win the game. And it's not like that. It's never been like that. And you got to realize that a guy like Jalen Hurts is a very, very difficult guy to plan for in a short week because you don't have any tape on it. The only tape you have is of him in college. And college football and pro football are completely different things. So here comes this guy who has a season's full of tape on you and you have nothing on him. You don't have anything on him. And so, you know, the saints really, when you look at it, I know Sean took a shot at the defense for giving up 200 yards and then they shouldn't do that. But the reality of it is the offense turned the ball over twice inside the 40 yard line and, you know, gave Philadelphia short fields. If they hadn't done that, the, the Saints still didn't play well, but probably wouldn't have lost the game. So I think the, the biggest thing for, for the Saints on this thing is just take the lesson and move on because, you know, they've got a big, big task in front of them this week. Jeff, how hard is it to play a team that is almost going to go for it from fourth down very early? Because what, what I thought affected the game was the Eagles had the mentality – well, you know, we're, we're on the 45-yard line. We're not going to try and kick a field goal. We're not punting. We'll take the fourth and two. And they converted fourth down several times, whereas if I could suggest they were in playoff contention, they wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. They played loose and they played, you know, free and, they and, and you know, they called the game that way. And I, and I think that was good by Doug. And I think, you know, what, what happens so many times when you get a young player like Hertz that comes into the game he just playing wild. I mean, he just out there free balling. And, and when you do that, you can make some plays and, you know, and then the momentum starts to go and, you know, you start to question yourself a little bit. I'm talking about the saints and then there's, you know, guys are, it's just a, it's really, really, really takes a mature team to rally themselves off of out of a situation like that. And they weren't able to do it. And I think they're, I still say there is, you know, they're going to play in the Super Bowl, but, um, you know, I think they need to get Breeze back. Uh, you know, again, what, what has happened to, you know, what's happened to them is the same thing that happens to a lot of teams. You, you put your backup quarterback in the game, give, a, give defensive coordinators three games of game film to watch, and all of a sudden, you know, he's starting to get schemed. And, you know, that's just, you know, what's going to – it's going to happen to Jalen Hurts too in about three games. So, you know, I think that's – you know, that's what happened to the Saints a little bit on offense. They need to get their, you know, they need to get their gunslinger back. And one final question on the game, or if you were a coach, how do you deal with Carson Wentz today? You know, he's watched his backup go in, beat a really good team, you know, and suddenly all the pressure's on him. Do you, do you give him a hug? Do you, you know, do you give him space? How, how, how do you deal with something like this? Well, I think that's a lot dependent on the guy that you're dealing with, you know, because you, you have to understand they're all different and they're all wired different. And, you know, if some guys, you know, you, you may have to call them in and sit them down and, you know, be their shrink for 30 minutes and just, you know, tell them how much you love them or, you know, other guys, they don't want to even see you the next day. They, they are 100% focused on, you know, winning their job back. And so those guys, you know, you got to handle each guy's a little bit different in general. I think it's really important that the team knows and that, Carson Wentz knows that football is 
you know, it, things can change like that. And Carson can't go into a shell. Carson's got to continue to prepare. He's got to do all that stuff because Jalen may go out and, you know, I hope not, but he might get hurt in the first quarter next week. And, and he's got to be ready to play. And that's just, that's the reality of pro football. So I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to sulk. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to become a, you know, a divisive piece in their locker room. I don't think he's the guy that's going to, you know, be out in the paper talking about how he got shafted in this deal. I think Carson Wentz is a professional. I think he's a, you know, when I went to training camp there a couple of years ago, I asked Doug about him because Doug was our quarterback with the Rhyme Fire in 95. And uh, he said, you know, he's a little bit headstrong. And he said, but he's a heck of a piece of clay to work with. And, you know, I think that I still think that evaluation of him is, is really true. We talk about the, you know, the character of quarterbacks. And I guess this is maybe the big test for Carson. He's had these tests on the field. He's proven he can do it. I don't think there's any question about, is he capable? There's maybe some questions about, is he still as capable? But this is this, this is a big mental task for him. And I guess you only need to look to maybe Chicago for an example of a quarterback that has been benched and has bounced back for it. It's a weird game to go to next, but I feel like Mitchell Trubisky needs a little bit of love because he's come back and and kind of shaken himself down, not taking it too personally, and he's come back, won back his position, and he's playing some great football. Well, I tell you what, Cameron, one of the things that, that I say every year to our players, and I I don't care what team I'm coaching, I it's it's a it's it's a fact. The only thing you're guaranteed in pro football is adversity. And it's going to come in a lot of different fashions. And it's going to come at sometimes the most inopportune times. And it's how you deal with that adversity that defines who you are as an individual and who will be as a, as a football team. So just like, you know, Trubisky had to go through the embarrassment of being benched and everybody saying, you know, it's his time was over in Chicago and, you know, Bottom line is he had to keep preparing because Foles goes down, busts, busts up his ribs, and he's the starter again. And he better be ready to go because it's his, it's his opportunity. It's his time. And, you know, when, when you get that tap on the shoulder and they say it's time for you to go, you better be ready to go, whether that's in the first quarter of a game, two weeks after you've been benched, whatever it is. And, you know, again, that's what you're, that's what a professional does. Bounce back ability is something that we definitely talk about. Now, we're talking about that from quarterbacks, but can it be done at a divisional level? Because the NFC East has got some real bounce back ability about it at the moment. You know, yeah, another. That's what, it, it's, it's good to see that really to me because maybe for the first five weeks, I mean, even on the talk shows in America, they were beating up on the you know, the NFC least and, you know, no, nobody wants to win this division and maybe it, maybe a team with four wins will win the division. And, you know, and now you're starting to see those teams play a little bit. You know, each one of them had their own personal things that they had to go through. You know, the Eagles got decimated in the offensive line just like the Cowboys did. You know, the, the Cowboys lose their quarterback. The Eagles have the quarterback controversy. You know, Deshaun Jackson's out. You know, Washington has – Washington has led the league in controversy since, you know, forever. But, you know, they have they have a name change. They have, uh, you know, 
people inside the organization bringing sexual assault, uh, you know, whatever charges against the people, other people in the organization, you get the head coach gets cancer, you know, I mean, it's their quote franchise quarterback gets benched. I mean, everybody's had the challenges. Joe judge was teetering on the brink of outright revolt, you know, and he stuck to his guns and, you know, believed in, kept coaching what he believed in and they came out the other end. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for those teams. And I think you're going to see this weekend in, you know, in Seattle that, that Washington's going to give Seattle all they want. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and Paul, we were, we've been critical of the NFC East, you know, it's, it's easy, it's easy to jump on the bandwagon when the, when, when the cheap shots are flying, but to, to be fair, you know, they've really turned things around. Both of our teams, I'm a Niners fan. So, you know, fell foul of the Washington football team, that defense, Chase Young is everything we were told he was going to be and a little bit more. And it's brilliant seeing players like that. Obviously as a Niners fan, I love seeing Nick Bosa and the impact that he had last year. Obviously it was good enough to take that great Niners team to the Super Bowl couldn't quite get it done but you know what I guess that's been a big problem for us is losing so many key players this year Washington have had issues but there's there's signs of life there there's green shoots coming up in that field because there's players like Chase Young that have a hell of a lot and that's the sort of football players that you love to watch yeah I mean you look at their defense their defense is one of the top defenses in the league you know and, and it's not a defense that everybody anybody talked about before the season everybody you know was talking about the Ravens talking about the Bears with good reason, but, you know, you look at Washington's front seven, particularly they're outstanding and, you know, they, they've cleaned up that organization in many ways. Right. And part of the cleanup that Ron's done there is they are very sound on defense. Now they're not fancy. They're not, they don't do a lot of stuff, but they play extremely good fundamental football. They tackle very well. They run to the football and they can rush the passer. And if you can do those things, you're going to stop some people in in this league. There's over the last couple of years, I'm going to move us on to the Monday night game because Mm -hmm. you go back to 2018 and you had the Rams Chiefs, that 54-51 game out in LA. Last year, you had the Saints 49ers, 48-46 between the Niners and the Saints. Sorry, Paul, to get that one cheap shot. Like I said, cheap shots are easy. Monday night, we had 47-42 between the Ravens and the Browns. That was one hell of a football game for a start. High octane, everything you want to see. You know, I, you know, I do this little show for PicksWise where I pick games. And, and uh, you know, I, I really believe that I picked the Ravens. But I also took the under, and I think the over and under was like 47. Well, Christ, they scored 90 points in the game. I mean, <laughs> who would have ever thought that – one, Cleveland could score that many against Baltimore's defense. And number two, that Baltimore could could be that potent offensively because they have struggled at times this year. But it just goes to show you that, you know, do not take anything for granted in the National Football League. And, and I thought that was really an unbelievably good football game. It was like a heavyweight match where two guys walked right to the middle of the ring and just started throwing haymakers and said, we're going to see who's the last one standing. And, and it was a phenomenal game to watch. Lamar Jackson, you know, walks off from the sideline. He's been in the locker room. He's been suffering from cramp, comes on for a fourth and five. I mean, it, that was remarkable stuff. It, it, 
is that the real Lamar Jackson? Is that the moment? I know he won an MVP, but that's a national stage. Is that a big, big moment for him? I think it's a big stepping stone for him because, you know, let's be honest about him. He, he, he was, he f- like just exploded on the scene, right? I mean, exploded on the scene. Nobody had seen, and, and you know, obviously Kaepernick had a very meteoric rise early in his career too. But Cap couldn't do the things that this kid can do. I mean, he he is a magician with the ball in his hands, and he's so fast and so elusive and so, you know, he, for as skinny as he is, he's, he doesn't take flush hits very much, right? So, you know, you look at that, and, but the thing that you said about him was, ah, does he, he doesn't throw the ball good enough. But the other night, you saw him make throws, and no, he wasn't perfect, and he wasn't – nobody's going to mistake him for Aaron Rodgers, but I'll tell you what, he has the ability to make plays with his feet and his arm. And he's a, he's one you've got to, you got to defend him. You got to start defending their offense by defending him. The one other game that I think is worthy of a bit of discussion purely because how close it was and felt like for the first time I think I've ever seen him under such duress is the Chiefs-Dolphins game. It felt like at the start of that that Mahomes was not just on the back foot. He was both feet were back. He was struggling to get going in that one. Um, I guess a sign that that Dolphins defense is absolutely legit. But again, it just shows you that even up against a top quality defense, Mahomes can still get it done. Um, yeah, you know, you look at when you when you evaluate the defense of, in Miami. Number one, they're they're very multiple. They do a lot of things. They probably do more things than anybody in the league right now. They are got two tremendous corners, and that's a great place to start building your defense. You know, they drafted Christian Wilkins to be a big guy that can work inside, and and you know he's a tremendous leader and everything that you want. They've done a culture shift in Miami, and you got to give. Greer and Flo credit for bringing in, getting rid of guys that were not, didn't fit the, you know, the traits that they wanted. And a lot of those were, were uh, not football related traits. They're related more to their personality. They, they wanted guys that loved football. They wanted guys that were highly intelligent guys, guys that were committed to working and winning. And so they, they weeded out a bunch of guys when they first got there and it was subtraction by, you know, it was addition by subtraction. And so then they had all that salary cap room and they did a great job of going out and getting value guys right now. They paid a lot of money for Byron Jones, but you're going to pay a lot of money for a, a, you know, a real good corner, but you go up to new England and you get Kyle Van Noy who can do a lot of things for you. And he's really, really smart. And he's a really good leader. And you go to Philadelphia and get a guy named Gruger Hill, who's a backup kind of starting linebacker, backup linebacker, really good coverage backer and and he comes in and he gives you a jolt you go to buffalo and you get shaq lawson who can play end and he can stand up and play outside backer in their four three stuff or three four stuff so every single one of the guys that they went out and signed and there's more of them than those guys i just mentioned they all were guys that fit the profile of what they wanted in miami and it's no surprise when you do that that your team is going to improve Jeff, one of the interesting things we've seen, and it, it's starting to get more prevalent in the NFL, is coaches who might not be back the following year are being fired mid-season. Now, we, we didn't used to see that. If you're a coach at the moment in the NFL with a team that is perhaps underperforming, you've got three or four games left, do you have the mentality that you're playing to save your job? 
what you know what can you do in these situations because you know the, you know we're talking about Anthony Lynn at the Chargers they've had a really bad run he's under pressure how can you shut that out or or is it just impossible to do so well I think the the first thing you rec- got to recognize it and it, you know this if you're in the business for any length of time that every day you're coaching you're coaching for your job I mean that's just the reality of the business it is a what have you done for me lately right now high performance industry and it's very cutthroat and it's there's only 32 of those jobs in the whole world and everybody wants one and everybody's agent is calling the you know calling the general manager and calling the the owner of the team and saying hey listen if you would i if you'd hire my guy you know you wouldn't be five and seven right now or whatever you know they're always working it's constantly behind the scenes it's always churning all the time so Guys like Anthony Lynn, they know the deal because they're lifers in the game. Now, when you get to the position he's in, the thing that gets the hardest, because I've been there, is the constant questions, right? Because the media is the media, and they're going to, especially the American media, they're going to stay on you and stay on you and stay on you because they want you to crack. They want you to say, you know, like like I've watched, and I know Doug because, like I said, he – was our quarterback in 95. Doug Peterson is as good a guy, low key, really great character guy, whole deal, right? And I've watched him in his press conferences and his press conferences have become absolutely painful to watch because the media is just bearing in on him all the time about, are you gonna be back? Do you expect to be back? What's wrong with your quarterback? How'd you, you know, all the stuff, right? So you're not going to get away from it. You can't run from it. The best thing is to say as little as you possibly can and get on to the to task at hand. And that's to try and win a game. So Anthony's not going to he, he's not going to win enough games to stay by worrying about what happens in February. He's got to worry about what happens today and tomorrow and then this week and then move on to the next one. They got a huge win last weekend. That will help him because I'll, I'll tell you this for fact, they, they don't want to fire him there. The, the people that own the team do not want to fire him. And, you know, with the NFL's record of minority hiring, the NFL doesn't want to see any minority coaches get fired either. Right. So, you know, I, I, I hope I'm really hopeful for him because he's a good football coach and a good man. And there's a lot to like there as well from franchises. We've talked about this on the podcast recently. You know, when we kicked this off this pod, it was about two years ago. We are on episode 128 of this. So we've been prattling on for a while, Paul and I. Um, but, you know, when we first started kicking this off, we were chatting about it feels like a changing of the guard as we got Brady and Rodgers coming to an end. We weren't sure where the exciting young quarterbacks were going to come from. And now there's absolutely loads of them. It's brilliant. There's there's so many exciting quarterbacks to, to get you up out of your seat now that genuinely you're kind of watching Brady go to Tampa and you're like, all right, Tom, do what you got to do, Tom. Enjoy yourself. We're watching the new boys over here. And that's brilliant for the game. That's brilliant for the NFL. Justin Herbert is a, a, an absolutely solid foundation by the looks of things upon which the Chargers can build their offense. They've got great weapons out there. Eckler's come through and been an asset. When you know Melvin Gordon moves on, you think, where's the run game going to be? He's been a massive loss, obviously been injured, Eckler, but now that he's back, Keenan Allen remains to be one of the most exciting wide receivers, continually catches that ball. You know, I think, for me, one of the more underrated ones in the grand scheme of it when you're talking about your top guys. Hunter Henry back fit again as a tight end. There's a lot to like there. 
even on defense, you know, there's there's players missing this year that has been a massive loss for them. So there's a lot to like. You do almost want them to get enough wins that you can carry that through. And if you're a Chargers fan, there's plenty to be excited about. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, Ty Long, who's their punter and and kickoff guy, played for me, and and uh, I asked Ty about it. I said, you know, what's the what's the mood in San Diego in San Diego in Los Angeles? <laughs> and uh, yeah, he, he's he's real positive. He's real positive. Now, obviously, you know, you, you got to get Derwin James back. You got to get Bosa back. You got to get Pouncey back. You know. I, you can't lose frontline players and think you're going to stay, stay good. You know, you just don't have enough of them. And, and I don't think anybody who's had massive injuries this year, and there's been a ton of teams that have, has been able to just say, okay, next man up. That's nice to say, but when the next man, I mean, when, when Pouncey got hurt, the next guy up wasn't Pouncey. And, you know, (laughs) when Bosa went down, the next guy up wasn't Bosa. And Derwin James brings so much special to your team and then you lose him you know, it makes it tough. And, and that's just the reality of the business. And, you know, nobody's going to send you sympathy cards at Christmas. You know, they, the bottom line is you got to find a way and their win last week in, you know, they pick Ryan off at the end and, you know, you can say about what you want about their clock management, running the ball with no timeouts left and all that stuff. But, you know, bottom line is they came out of it with a win and now they got a chance to put another win behind that this week. They got the Raiders coming in there. The Raiders are in disarray on defense. And, you know, that's an old-time AFL rival game. So I expect that's going to be a great game too. Jeff, you make a great point that, you know, the Chargers went on to win. So one of the points that I often see in in sport is it's not necessarily – I think owners can overreact because Anthony Lynn isn't today a better coach or a worse coach because they beat the Falcons. That, that kind of thing doesn't always sit with owners. That, that's the difficult part. It's almost like it's the iceberg, isn't it? You've got to look what's underneath it, the organisational structure. And sometimes, actually, you could be throwing out a great deal of promise just to start again. Yeah, and I mean, I'll I tell you a, a story about, you know, Dick Vermeil goes to St. Louis and they have two, he's there two years and they struggle. They're struggling. And he has to go in an off-season meeting. He meets the owner, uh, Georgia Frontieri, in uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, in a secret meeting. And he has to convince her to come back for his third year. And pretty good decision that she brought him back because that was the year they won the Super Bowl. But they were building that thing, and they just weren't – the results weren't there. The foundation was starting to be built because it – when you take over a bad one like he did, it takes time. You just it's it's a it is a work in progress. And it's a it, it is so much. It's such an enormous task because you've got a lot of people that you've got to get buy in from, not just the players. Right. It's the other coaches the on the staff. It's the trainers. It's the equipment men. It's the guys that work on the field. It's everybody in the building has to be on the same page. And one of the reasons for the for the success of the Patriots over time, like they've had, is the fact that their power structure is very much that way. He's not interested in hiring. If you look at his hirings, it's really interesting. He doesn't hire a lot of veteran assistant coaches. He hires young coaches. And he then he will tell them what he wants coached, right? Because he's not interested in having guys come in and talking about 
you know, wasting time in meetings talking about, well, we did this back in Arizona in 97, right? It ain't 97 and you're not in Arizona. You're in New England. And this is the way we do things here. This is the Patriot way. And if you can't, if you can't live within that, you, you can't coach there. And that's, but that creates a situation where everybody is in lockstep with one another. Everybody's working towards the same goal. Everybody's pointed in the same direction. Everybody knows clearly what the expectations are. And that's, that's as much as anything. See, people, people have such a, and it's sad because so many times now the owners are making the selection about who their head coach is. And I guess they should have that right because they are the ones that sign the checks. But do they really understand what goes into creating a football team? And the, how much cooperation and how much leadership and how much, you know, is involved in that whole process. It's not just, you know, well, this guy was with Sean McVay, so we want a guy that does what they do offensively. Or, you know, look at here, here's a perfect example. Look at the success rate of Belichick. Belichick's been the most successful head coach in the last 30 years. And you look at the success rate of his assistant coaches that have gone off to be head coaches. Not very good. Now, did, were they all dumb guys? No. They didn't get dumb when they left New England. The structure was different. They, they, some of them tried to be Bill when they couldn't be Bill. And then others didn't have the, didn't have the power that he has, right? So a lot of it comes down to, you know, where you, where you land. I, like I heard this one. Now this is, this is, I'm not going to take a shot at the guy, but I'm going to say it without saying who said it. I'm listening to a thing on NFL network and a guy says, Robert Sala should be the head coach in Detroit because Robert Sala grew up three miles from the Detroit line facility and Robert Sala played at Northern Michigan. And Robert Sala was a graduate assistant at Michigan state for a year. So he's got Michigan ties. He should go back and be the Lions head coach. And I thought to myself, that might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> because what the Lions need is somebody that can lead, somebody that can get that organization all going in the same direction, somebody that can that can lead those. You got to be a leader. You got to be able to to stand up in front of those players and have credibility. And that doesn't come from what you did in the past. It comes from following through on what you do every single day. Now, Robert Sala may fit that bill. And if it's the case, then hire him. But if don't hire him because he's, you know, he grew up three miles from the Lions. I mean, that is the most outrageous <laughs> thing I've ever heard. But it was on NFL Network. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's got to have something to say, don't they? <laughs> They're getting paid to say it. <laughs> So, very wary of time, know that you've got uh, got to leave us very shortly. Got to ask you about where you see the season going from here. This is, you know, we love speculation. We love uh, the old... We, this is a great thing about the NFL in general. We love hot takes. We love bold takes. What's yours? Well, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, wow you with a bold one. But I will tell you this. When, you, when I watched Kansas City beat Miami the other day, I saw two teams that were, you know, both... I thought really well coached and one just a more complete team in terms of the overall structure of the roster because Kansas city was able to withstand a less than a less than Sterling offensive performance, right? By a quote, offensive football team. 
But when you look at how they're structured, they are so good in all three phases of the game. Nobody has talked one time that I know anything about, that I've heard anything about. Nobody has said a single word about Nicole Hardman's punt return touchdown. That was the difference in the game. See, and that's what frustrates me sometimes about the media, right? You don't realize that the Chiefs, they can beat you so many ways, right? Because, and they've done this in the past. Their special teams have, have won games for them or turned games for them. Two years ago in, a, in, a, in Houston, in the opening game of the playoff, the initial, they run the first the kickoff back for a touchdown. I mean, last year they stopped Houston on a fake punt inside, you know, deep in Houston territory. It turns into a touchdown, the game's over with. So they can beat you with special teams, and their defense is built exactly for that offense. And what I mean by that is, guys, there's a thing called complementary football. And when you when you build your team, you you build it in such a way that the offense plays to the defense strengths, and the defense plays to the offense strengths, and the special teams plays to everybody's strength. Right. So you evaluate Kansas City, one of the best coverage teams in the NFL on kicks and punts. Okay, so that their defense gets the advantage because the other team has long fields. One of the better return teams in the league, they get short fields. Okay, offensively, they can score fast, which allows the defense to do what? They can blitz and they can go after you to create turnovers and sacks to get possessions back to an offense that can score fast. Right. So somehow Andy and the organization had a blueprint of what they wanted that football team to be. And then they went out and got the kind of players that they needed to fill that void. Nicole Hardeman's a great story. They got McCole because they didn't know what was going to happen with Tyreek Hill with that, some of the off field stuff he's had. Right. So he was an insurance policy for Tyreek, but now he's turned into a weapon on his own. Right. So when I, look, when I look at them, I look at them as the most complete team in the NFL right now. Could the Packers get them? Sure they could, because Aaron Rodgers can light it up. And if they can, if the Packers can get Sorensen or um, Tyron Matthew in coverage against Devontae Adams three times, that, that might be the difference of winning that game and not winning that game. The teams that I worry about having the ability to beat Kansas City are the teams that can't score fast or can't make big plays. Look at how the Raiders beat them. They got rugs against Sorensen for a long post drop. Matthew dropped coverage and they got a touchdown. So they got two chances and they took advantage of both chances. If you don't like at the end of the game, Miami did the only thing it could do. And I thought they did it too late, but I, I, I said to Neil in the, in, in the booth, I said, you know, they need to go to empty and no huddle because Kansas City's starting to blitz them and he doesn't know what to do with it, right? So you spread them out and you, and you go fast so that they, it, you know, balances up the defense, he gets cleaner looks, and then all of a sudden they go down and score. And he's playing with a JV team around him because Parker was hurt and, every, you know, everybody was hurt. So, you know, there are teams that are capable, I think, of beating them, but you better be able to score fast. That's one of the reasons why I worry about New Orleans against them because New Orleans doesn't really have a, what you would call a dynamic vertical passing game. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. Uh, can the Ravens do it? I talked about those games. I talked about 2018 and the, the Rams beat the Chiefs. I talked about 2019, the Niners beat the Saints. The thing that rang true in both of those was that those teams then went on to play in the Super Bowl. Okay, granted, both teams lost. Um, the Ravens, could they be the team from the AFC that goes to the Super Bowl? I thought early in the season they were going to be. Like, I really did. But I never anticipated, number one, that they'd get beat up like they've gotten. You know, I mean, they lose Stanley. You're losing a, your, your best offensive lineman, and you're a run football team. Like, right now, the guy they put in there is getting beat over and over and over in pass protection. And so, you know, that's that's a real concern. And you think, well, how can an offensive lineman mean that much? Well, in their offense, it's a huge deal. Um, I didn't think that that uh, Lamar Jackson would kind of plateau as a thrower like he has. Um, you know, that's probably because now there's three years of film on him. And, you know, people see what he doesn't like, and he's going to get a bunch of it. They got to stay ahead on the chains. But I think they were a team early on that I said, yes. Now, if they get back to playing like they're capable of playing, I think I'd say, I'd say, yeah, sure. I think they got a chance because, you know, they should play better defense. Their defense, that was a, that was a, you know, just a, I think a blip on the radar screen last week against the Browns. They're way better than that on defense. Yeah, absolutely. Right, last question for you, because we know you need to go. Let's do it full circle. Let's bring it back to the Claymores, because you touched on special teams and you touched on the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the best Scottish Claymores to ever play. Dante Hall, the X Factor himself. Uh, We were lucky enough to actually have a chat with Dante uh, earlier on this year. He did an event with uh, a member of the NFL Scotland team that's been running some online Zooms, and Dante was there. Scott Cooper, who, of course, played for the Claymores as well, is part of the wider NFL Scotland podcast team as well. So Scoops is heavily involved. He's in our fantasy league and he's been to a few of our pods, stuff like that. But Dante Hall, how big a player? As a special teams coach, you know, how much would you love to have a Dante Hall in every single one of your special teams? Ooh, I'll tell you what. It was, it was interesting because um, Dante had that great year in Scotland and then went back to Kansas City. And then I went to Kansas City for training camp and, and got to work with the special teams guys. And I had a lot of fun with Dante because, you know, somehow I don't know how we did it, but he never scored a touchdown on us with the Ryan fire. And I used to, I used to jab him with that one all the time, but I'm going to tell you something. I have never seen a guy do some of the things that he did in Kansas city. And it was almost like the, the trip to, you know, I know they sent him, they allocated him to the, to NFL Europe to try and make a receiver out of it because they didn't know what he was when they first got him. He was not a running back and he wasn't a receiver and they were trying to make him a receiver. But once he got back there and kind of settled in, I remember sitting in the meeting and coach Vermeil said, he's our returner. And if that's all he does, he's going to win games for us. And that was true. And, you know, there, there's one return against Denver, I think it is, where he starts this way and sets the return and then retraces his steps back the other way. I mean, it's one of the most phenomenal returns I've ever seen. And what a great guy. I mean, he was so much fun to be around and, and truly, truly uh, an amazing player. 
when we spoke to him, that was his all-time favorite play, the one that you just mentioned. You know, it was special for what it was, and it was special to him because it was against the Broncos. He liked scoring against those Broncos. So, (laughs) But for us, it was great to speak to him. He enjoyed his time in Scotland. And I think that, you know, the legacy of the NFL Europe is still still warm. There's still players bouncing around, uh, you know, not playing, but obviously have been around the scene that are now pundits and, and part of the NFL network. And it's great to hear them talk about their experiences when they came over to Europe. Obviously, people like yourself uh, got great experience over here. And it's great for us to look back and remember, you know, it's 25 years next year that the Scottish Claymores won the World Bowl. Um, and, you know, let's hope that we can get the pub opened and go and celebrate it just for the damn hell love, of it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I would love to do that. You know, the the Rhinefire team that beat the Claymores in 99 had a reunion uh this past year, but I couldn't go because it was during our season. But I would absolutely love to go see those guys. And please tell Scotty Cooper I said hello. Uh, I think he's one of the really good guys I've ever met in football. And he was really a good player. And, you know, it's funny, that group of European kids um, really paved the way for the Jay Ajayis and, and, you know, the guys that are, you know, getting it done now. And, um, I think that they really deserve an awful lot of credit and thank goodness for Robbie Hart being wide left on that field goal at the end of the 99 Grey Cup. <laughs> I mean, World Bowl because that 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 made us World Bowl champions. That was a great, what a fabulous game that was. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and you can still find them on YouTube if you dig deep enough. I tell you, they're great to watch back. Absolutely brilliant. But- you know what? It's funny. There was a uh, my son and I are watching a movie, right? And it's a it's a comedy movie called White Chicks. And <laughs> we're watching the movie and I'm looking at it. And I'm going, no, no, yeah, it is. And we had a linebacker that played for us at the Rhine in 95 named Terry Crews. And Terry Crews went on from football to become like this movie star and he hilariously funny and he was hilariously funny in the locker room when he was a player and it's just like man oh man oh man that's that was and I I said see that kid right there son he was on our team he was our starting linebacker I go no way dad it's Terry Crews he didn't I said yep <laughs> Brilliant. Love Terry Crews. I think Terry Crews is brilliant. I never got... I, I wonder, actually, I wonder if I saw him play because I was going to the Claymore's games in around 95 at Murrayfield. So I may well have seen him play, but I don't remember yeah, it, but love him now, as a player. Well, back in history, um, we opened the 95 season in Murrayfield, or we were in... trying to think. No, we were in uh, Edinburgh. Mm. Yeah, yeah, at Murrayfield. Yeah. That's Murrayfield, yeah. Murrayfield, and... We opened against the Claymores, and the Claymores had just gone through this really crazy time where uh, they had to fire the head coach the week before the first game, and and Jim Kreiner took it over. And so we go in there to play, and your kicker was named Arden Shashevsky, and Arden had been Galen Hall's kicker at Florida, right? And so it's typical Claymore's game. It's raining sideways and it's real physical and the field's muddy and all that stuff. And you start a drive with about a minute left to go and you get to about the, it's going to be about a 47 yard field goal. And I'm standing next to Galen on sidelines. He always, when he got nervous, he always chew his fingernails. 
And he goes, he's talking to himself. He goes, Arden, you little, and I won't use the words he said, you're going to get me, aren't you, Arden? You're going to get me. And Arden kicked it and went wide left again, and we won. And that was, that was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Listen, thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. It's an absolute pleasure. We stand firm on that offer. The whiskeys are on us when you come to town, and let's try and get you for that uh, 25-year anniversary celebration next year. Man, I would love it. Tell everybody I said hello in Scotland, and thank you very much. Brilliant. Thanks for joining us, sir. Bye, guys. Thank you, Jeff. That's brilliant. Appreciate it. Great to be joined by Jeff. We've been trying to get him for a while. Time zones made it a little bit challenging, but we've now that he's back in the UK, we absolutely had to jump on that. Uh, really delighted. Great to hear the stories about, obviously, his intake, his intake, his input on what's happening in the NFL now, but great to hear some of those old Claymore stories as well. It's just brilliant. I mean, you know, only Jeff could start to talk about Terry Crews playing for him. <laughs> you know, I mean, Brooklyn 99, if anybody's <laughs> he's seen that. You know, it, and... You know, what I love about listening to Jeff is he, he mixes in the stories, but there's also that, you know, that serious side. He talks about, you know, how Anthony Lynn might be and the fact that the Chargers, you know, really want to keep him and there could be some pressure. The only thing guaranteed in the NFL is adversity. What a great quote that was. And it, it tells you a lot about, you know, the people, the organisation, how you come in and, and you go with that. I, I thought he was great, you know, d- you know, explaining the issues, you know, the Saints and who might be able to beat certain teams so no just absolutely brilliant to have him uh we could have sat for another three four five hours listening to jeff and he just has that magical property about him that you you just want to listen to what he says yeah absolutely one thing we need to do paul before we wrap up for this episode is look over our rewards uh so let's go to twitter now and get some of the thoughts from people who have interacted with us on this one so first off uh, steve collins he says belters aaron Rodgers. uh Gives another consummate quarterback performance and now has more touchdown passes than the Packers have punted this season. That's quite impressive. 39 touchdown passes to 38 punts. So that's really good. Uh, Belter from Shawnee B is the one-handed interception from Moore in the end zone. Uh, that, was, that was the Colts, wasn't it? That was a brilliant catch. Absolutely you could you could stop right there, Cam, because nothing's going to beat that. I mean, that was one-handed, but it wasn't like it was right at him. He's extending and turning round. That is the kind of play that you simply go, "Wow!" Yes, you I, know. I mean, even Raiders fans now, you not the first time because you're you're hacked off, <laughs> but you you can't help but go. I tell you what, that's what unbelievably what brilliant. And oh. AJ Brown had a great touchdown catch, which was. Also very impressive, but it wasn't a touch on that interception. It wasn't, to be fair to him. So, so yeah. No, it wasn't. Um, David Old, his belter is Tucker for being an ice-blooded kicker. Justin Tucker continues to do it. Um, Lauren Callahan, NFC East for going 3-1 and one this week, including Jalen Hurts' win over the NFC-leading Saints. You know what? I was impressed with Jalen Hurts, but I mentioned it to Jeff. When you're playing a team that effectively has an extra down, in, in certain situations, because if they'd been a contender, they would have been punting in these situations. Yeah. Uh, and, and that does make it harder. And, you know, other teams are going to come across that as well. It's not something, you know, only the Saints will come across this season. Other contenders will find that. And the thing is, the as, as you know, when you can work out all the percentages, you know, even if you're successful on fourth down, fourth and two, fourth and one, 
40, 50 percent of the time, that's still giving you, you know, rather than you going off the field, you know, you're you're continuing on. So I was very impressed with Jalen Hurts, I have to say. Yes. No, I thought there was a lot to like if you're an Eagles fan. But like you said, I thought you made a good point and Jeff backed you up on that, that, you know, they're, they've got nothing to play for. So they can kind of piss into the wind a little bit, uh, if you excuse the turn of phrase. But OK, I think I'll back you on this one as well. I think that Kenny Moore is absolutely the belter this week. I don't think there's anyone else gets into that conversation. Bowfin then, a couple of suggestions here. Polly has said Vikings kicker Dan Bailey, who had an absolute shocker. Um, Bob, uh, sorry, Bowfin from David Old was the Patriots, who were shocking on both offense and defense, because that was the Thursday night game. I, I often think, and I'm guilty of it, I forget about the Thursday night game, because by the time we come around, it's almost a full week. But yeah, the Patriots were decimated by the Rams, like absolutely mm. decimated. Uh, Long Callahan's Bowfin is Cincinnati with their version of the butt fumble. Uh, Shawnee B has is the Houston Texans, and Steve Collins puts forward the Vikings O line for giving six sacks up on Cousins. Who gets your Bowfin award this week? It is Dan Bailey. I saw a lovely graphic somebody sent me. It was a it was a question. I can't remember what the question was, but you had to either you know tick yes or no in the boxes. Or, you know, cross yes or no. And there was three crosses outside the box. And it simply said Dan Bailey's vote, which I thought was very funny. Um, but if you're a Vikings fan, that really cost you. Um, you know, so, yeah, I, I think that's both. And you've got to make some of these kicks. You can't miss that, man. Um, notable mention for me to the Texans in here as well. To lose 36-7 to the Bears. Fine, the Bears are on the up. That defense is good, but... The Texans had shown signs of life and really there wasn't any signs. Now, granted, what weapons has Deshaun Watson got? He didn't have many to begin with. There are even fewer with David Johnson and obviously Will Fuller out for the season. Kiki Kuti was banged up. Ugh, not a lot to like, but it really was quite poor, really quite poor. And to be honest, they're now at the point where they're risking Deshaun Watson. Um, so I think that there's uh, there's real issues uh, the Houston Texans. We keep taking shots, but really it's a bad state of affairs. Um, now, now I'm concerned now because you told me before we started this I was getting a nomination somewhere now if it's not for Belter and it's not for Bowfin I think I know where this is going <laughs> the stage is yours so Bobag Bobag goes to uh, Mr. Paul Mitchell for unashamedly attempting to get his wife nominated for a Belter award for giving away the Steelers result oh so, <laughs> Oh, man. Honestly, Cameron, I, I'd had such a day, you know, just with various things going wrong and everything. I'd avoided the scores. I'd avoided the NFL Scotland chat. The whole works to sit down and just enjoy that game. And, you know, put it on. I'd, I'd seen a little bit of it. You know, fast forwarding through it to the, to the point. And you know, my wife, who's a wonderful stealer, I just went, no, oh, we lost. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that. You can't. It, That's it was three hours. What, That's three hours of footage. Down the it's like, yeah. Yeah. Whatever happened to the likely lads all over again for those of a certain vintage? And it was like, <laughs> you have got to be kidding me. Uh, Words were exchanged, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, well, um, uh, words, words were exchanged. I did skip over Polly's belter. Um, so he actually wanted to give belter of the week to Mrs. Mitchell for saving you the hassle of watching the Steelers-Bills game. So he had a slightly different take on that one. But there you go. Bob Ag nomination <laughs> for you. Um, a couple of others. Bob Ag uh, from Steve Collins, the official in the Green Bay Lions game who couldn't spot the catch even after the review. This was the Marvin Jones one that did 
looked like a catch. I was surprised to see that one overturned. Shawnee says Matt Ryan for the stupid pick at the end of the game. Definitely cost them the win. And the Chargers got away with that. I'll be honest. I thought, oh, well, the Falcons are going to march down here and win. But no, the Falcons are still the Falcons. Um... Bob Ag for David Old, ruled makers needlessly and sometimes stupid penalties, then three plays later ignore the exact same thing, either call it every time or none of the time. And I think that there's a general point here about inconsistency on, yeah, calling fouls. And I get that. Like, I think I tweeted a couple about Seattle getting away with a few things because they tend to always do. Um, and and it, it is frustrating. I totally get it. But at the same time, you look at the, the solutions like VAR in our football, which are kind of ruining the game as well. It's that inconsistency and injustice, and you may not agree with this, Paul, given our previous chats, but it's that that gets you up out your seat, gets you angry, and that's part of sport. It's just part of sport for me. I don't ever want to get away. I don't want 100% accuracy on decisions because it gives you no excuses. It gives you no out. It gives you nothing to moan about. It's part of sport, and it's something that continues to maintain the conversation, but I still get the point. There's some. There's definitely some really crappy... As, as, as long as you're not getting the fundamentals wrong... Yeah. You know, there are interpretive plays, that's fine. Um, and you, you see it, you know, the rules analysts come on and they say, well, I actually wouldn't have given that because such and such. So it's not all it's not all black and white. Can I give you my ball bag, but I do need to move to college football yep. for the week. If nobody's seen this, LSU against Florida, tied at 34. <laughs> LSU have just been stopped effectively, and that is as good as handing the game to Florida. The defender rips the guy's shoe off and instead of just throwing it at him or putting it down, he chucks it 20 plus yards and they get a flag for unsportsmanlike conduct and they end up losing the game. Now, two things. Another ball bag goes to the referee because he actually identified the wrong player. Uh, It was number three and he's identified number 11. The camera's on number 11. He's going, wasn't me. I didn't do it. He's the ball bag. Um, you know, Florida, uh, it was unbelievable. LSU won the game, and I'm quite happy about that. But, oh, man, what possesses them to actually throw a shoe in that moment? You're tied. You've just actually won the game. Drop it at them. Do something, but don't do anything. I mean, he's got a career at the Jets ahead of him. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Okay. Uh, do you know what? I'll back that because it was an absolutely dumb move. The other one to look out for, if you haven't seen it, is... Uh, I'm trying to remember the game now. Is it Bell State and Eastern Michigan? The ending of that game was something to behold. It, it really was quite something. It's one of these laterals where they chuck the ball back, chuck the ball back. Um, and yeah, it just is a, a shambles of a thing. I'll see if I can find the link to it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's Ball State, sorry, and Western Michigan. I got that completely wrong. Um, Ball State and Western Michigan. Uh, Field Yates tweeted it out. Go watch it if you've not seen it, because the 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 whole end of the thing, it's got everything that you could ever want in, in the final play of a game. It's just absolute carnage at one point. So keep an eye I, I out look, for that one. I look forward to watching that. And to be fair, the Bell State Eastern Michigan finish was brilliant as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It was uncalled for. Uh, gets you back for some of the Saints sniping anyway. That's what I get for trying to remember stuff. Right. <laughs> well, that's the full-time whistle then for episode 128. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Make sure that you share your thoughts on this in every single episode um, by looking us up on social media. It's at Scotland NFL on Twitter and search for NFL Scotland on Facebook. 
Yeah, the website is brilliant. Some great writing going on. Thanks to Jeff Rainbow, coach, for joining us. Brilliant as ever. We could have spent hours talking ball with Jeff. We'll hopefully get him back on the podcast at some point. Week 15 looks brilliant. Great slate of games. We'll be back next week to talk about them all. But until then, from Cameron, from myself, bye for now.